0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that it will open up to us in a very special way. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. He stood with his back to the wall by a rubbish bin. He was in a railway station, and it was busy. And from his violin case, he pulled out his violin, and then this young man, he put it at his feet. And he dropped in a few coins and a few notes as seed money as you do. And this young man looked average enough. You know, he was in his early 20s, dressed in blue jeans, a long sleeve T-shirt, and wearing a cap. And then he began to play. And he played classical music. And he played Schubert, Mozart. And he played for about 45 minutes. And in that 45 minutes, hundreds of people streamed past this young man, hardly noticing him at all. And yet if they had noticed him, they might have realised that this was Joshua Bell, world-renowned violinist, famous in his field, international musician. They might have even taken note that the violin he was playing was a rare Stradivarius valued at over $5 million. This was all by way of a social experiment by a large newspaper that were curious to see what would happen and then write an article about it. You see, just a few days beforehand, Joshua Bell had played his violin to a sold-out concert hall where tickets started at $200 a seat. That morning in the railway station, he made a grand total of $32 as 27 people dropped coins Into his violin case. John chapter 1, verse 10. Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. This morning we're going to pick up the Gospel of John. We're going to pick up the story of the Word, exploring the Word, the nature, And the activity of this word, the word that was with God and the word that was God. And today's passage has a number of surprises, especially for the original Jewish folk, who were comfortable with God's word being at creation, but today they're going to be surprised and challenged. And uh, so far it would have been comfortable for the Greeks, who had the idea of the word, the logos, as being that impersonal sort of force behind the order of the universe. And they too are going to be in for surprises, and maybe even we to ourselves, as we dive into this passage starting at verse 9. Verse 9 of John chapter 1. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The true light that was that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now for the last few verses, John has been associating light with this word. The idea that this word has within it welling up light. And this light is what John the Baptist has been witnessing to, has been pointing to. But here comes a hint of surprise. This light, this word, was coming into the world and something that was quite new and quite different. Now the Jews already thought they had the light of God in the Jewish Bible, in what we call the Old Testament. So they would hold up the Old Testament and they would say, well we've got the light, this is it. Does the word coming mean we're going to get more books added to our Bible? So they would have been quite confused about the whole fact that the word was coming into the world. And the original Greek thinkers likewise, they would have had no idea. For them, this word was the impersonal force that kept order, and they've already got it, so why do they need more of it? And this is clarified and opened up a little bit in the next verse, verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. Notice the personal pronoun, he. The light that is coming into the world was not words on paper, was not an impersonal force, but this light that was coming into this world was a he, person, a someone and not a something. And to make this crystal clear, we can skip ahead to verse 14, a sneak preview of the climax. Verse 14 of John chapter 1 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word has come in human form, flesh and blood, like you and I, lived a life just like you, except for one difference, major difference. The word was without sin. But apart from that, he was as human as you and I. And this then is the first surprise we find in this passage. The word became flesh. And in some respects, This is the biggest surprise out of the three that we'll look at. God is now with us. God is now with us in a very physical and personal way, in a way that has never happened in the past. God is with us, not just in his written word, not just sensed in prayer, and not just reflected in the wonder of creation. God is with us, human, flesh and blood, in the form of Jesus of Nazareth. And this word dwelling in verse 14, in the original language, the word means tabernacled or tented. The word became flesh and tented with us, tabernacled with us. And the word tabernacle also is a direct reference to the tent place of worship. The tent like place of worship that Moses had constructed from the plans that God had given them. It was the place where people worshipped but it was also portable. And we think, what's at the centre of this tabernacle? And the place is the Holy of Holies. This was the focus, the curtained-off area that no one could enter except the high priest once a year. The high priest could go into the Holy of Holies to make provision for God's people. And what was at the centre of this holy place? Well, it was the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark was a gold chest overlaid with gold, and then on it was a lid, and the lid had two angels, cherubim. And these were fierce and mighty angels, and these gold cherubim faced each other with wings outstretched. And between the wings was the Shekinah glory of God. If you asked a Jewish person back then where God's presence was, apart from saying God's presence is in creation, a Jewish person would have said God's presence is between the wings of the cherubim, the Shekinah glory, that could only be accessed once a year as the high press went in to make provision for the sins of God's people. And so when we read in John that the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us, It's a very significant way of the Bible telling us that Jesus is now available. The Shekinah glory of God is now available in the person of Jesus, someone who we can approach and talk to and be with. This is a very radical change. The Shekinah glory of God coming in Christ. Now all this word, God coming in flesh, was not a surprise to the original listeners but also would have been offensive, tremendously offensive. In their thinking, neither Greek nor Jewish person would consider that the Logos, the word, would come in human form and grovel in the dust. This was so offensive that Jews would have picked up stones to cast on anyone who made that claim. And for the Greek people, they would have mocked and ridiculed anyone who said that the word, the Logos, had come in flesh. And this is some of the background that leads to the next surprise that we find in the text. And the next surprise is this growing opposition to the word. Back to John chapter 1, verse 10. Verse 10 says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Did not recognize him. Now a comment about the word world in the Gospel of John. Now, when John uses the word world, it is in the negative sense. Now and again, it might be neutral, but he never uses the word world in the positive sense. We think of the word world, lots of positive things and some not positive things, and that is what the world is to us. But in John's gospel, the world is in rebellion against God. It opposes Jesus Christ. Listen to this selection of verses from Jesus himself, which emphasizes this opposition of the world to Christ and his ways. Uh, John chapter 7, verse 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. The world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. John 15, verses 18 and 19. Jesus again. If the world hates you, that's all the followers of Jesus, keep in mind that it Hated me first. You see, the world is always in opposition to Jesus. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates me. And then uh, referring to his own death, Jesus writes this. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And so we see here the seeds of this opposition that will grow and increase against Jesus Christ. And the world is not happy until Jesus is betrayed and crucified. And there's a very important theme that runs through the Gospel of John. And so, back to John chapter 1, verse 10, where it says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world chose not to recognize him, refused to recognize him as the Messiah, the Son of God. Whether it be spiritual principalities or whether it be earthly powers, they refused to recognize who Jesus was. And this opposition grows more intense in verse 11. Verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The word, God himself, came to the Jewish nation, his own people, but they refused Jesus. Is there any more tragic words in the Bible than these? He came to that which was his own, and his own refused him. God had given his people prediction and prophecy time and time again in the Old Testament that he would come, and when he finally came, He was refused by his own people. This is all very dark, isn't it? It's all very grim news. Especially we know that their refusing Jesus would lead to his betrayal and crucifixion. And this then is our second surprise. The first surprise of the text was that the word became flesh and the second is that the word was opposed. And even though this is grim, all is not lost. There is good news coming. Uh, And before we... Go back into the scripture. I want to go back to Joshua Bell. Remember, Joshua Bell was the world-renowned violinist who played in the violin in that very busy railway station but was largely ignored. Well, I have some video footage now that I want to show you. It's two minutes, and it's him playing there in the foyer. Two things I'd like you to take notice of. How many went past and ignored him? (laughs) There's a lot of people. But then towards the end of the video, I want you to notice a lady in dark who has a, has a white shopping bag, and just see what she does towards the end. You, you can see this in the video. Lots of people streaming past. And you'll see that lady in dark. And, and what she does is she stops, and everyone else swirls past her. So all those people stream past the violinist, and one stopped and said, I recognize you. Thank you. And this is the lead-in to John 1, verse 12, how it works. Listen to this. This is the good news out from all this grim news. Verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I'll read that again. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And this is the good news of the gospel, isn't it? You see, some people do pause and recognize Jesus and receive him. And as they receive him, they have the right right to become children of God. And this right is not something earned because we were clever enough to recognize Jesus or because we were good enough to do the right thing. This right is a gift of God, and it's uh, emphasized by the word grace. Ephesians, as we had heard before at the opening of this service, Ephesians chapter 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. Now in verse 13, John expands on this adoption. So all those who believe in Jesus, who receive him, become adopted as children. And in verse 13 we read this, Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And here we are introduced to the idea of born again, being born of God. And this, of course, is what confused Nicodemus no end. Remember the Pharisee who respected Jesus but came in the middle of the night or in the darkness to see Jesus, to ask him questions. And we read about this in John chapter 3, just a few chapters on. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And remember Nicodemus's response. He splutters, how can a person go back into their mother's womb? And here we see in John 1, 13 what Nicodemus could not see. How we are born again. How we become children. It's not because of natural descent. We become children of God not because of our parents' will. Not because someone decided to, to have children. We become born again children of God if we receive Jesus as Lord, as we receive Jesus as our Lord and Master. And so, this adoption leads to the high point of this passage. It leads to John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and grace and truth. This is the climax of the prologue. We are born again. How? We are adopted. How? Because the Word became flesh. And in this John chapter 1 verse 14, we also see the relationship between the Word and God. Remember right at the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here in verse 14, we see that relationship as a relationship of a father and a son. And the whole point of Jesus' coming was to extend the family so that we can be adopted as daughters and son. And this then is the grand reveal of John's Gospel right at the beginning. It's the golden thread that he weaves through his Gospel. Jesus is God's one and only Son. The Word made flesh, came as a human, and though opposed, offers us adoption. Born as children into a loved family. And this is the good news of the gospel. And so, what have we looked at today? today's passage? The word became flesh, but was opposed. But the word offers us adoption as daughters and sons. So what are the implications for this morning? What are some take-homes that we can use to think about and to explore next week? Well, just a couple. There's so much in this passage, but two things. A reminder And a challenge. First of all, a reminder. Opposition from the world. This passage reminds us that not only is Christ opposed by the world, but also we are opposed if we are faithful followers. Now, in a general sense, there is much good in the world around us. There is much wonder in creation, warmth in relationships, beauty in art, and challenges in careers However, since the fall, all of the wonderful things of the world have been infected with a horrible virus, and that virus is sin, and the most horrible sin is rebellion against God. And John's Gospel reminds us this world is so infected that it is in rebellion against God and will spill over and impact anyone who follows God. Now, in all this, we do not need to despair, for Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that wonderful? In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world as the world pushes back against those who follow Jesus, we hold tight to the promise that Jesus will give us his peace and that he has overcome the world. And so we should not be surprised with what's happening in the media over Bethlehem College. Here we have a God-honouring community that are trying to do the best thing in God's strength. However, they are being unfairly attacked in the media and, and by the wider community community because they stand on the word of God. And so we're not surprised when that happens. We need to realize that its source is rebellion against God, and that whenever communities or individuals are faithfully following Jesus, there will be times when there is significant pushback. However, Jesus has not left us without resources. We're not to take this lying down. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be alert. Be of sober mind, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, resist him, standing firm in the faith. So there's an encouragement for us to be alert and sober-minded, which means when we hear about things like Bethlehem College, we're alert to that. Sober-minded means we don't get caught up in the emotion of that, but that we pray effectively that strongholds will be broken. We pray that the attacks will be thwarted. We pray that God's people in that situation at Bethlehem, from the principal to the staff to all those godly parents that wanted to do the right thing, we pray for our brothers and sisters that they will be strengthened and we pray that that community can learn from this opportunity, learn to be closer to Jesus and learn to share him more effectively even if it costs. Jesus reminds us that by standing firm in him, our rock and redeemer, we can resist the attacks the world throws at us, knowing that Christ has overcome. Greater is he that is in me than the he that is in the world. That's a wonderful promise from, from John's later letter in 1 John, in a letter that John wrote a number of years later. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So that's the first take home, a reminder. If you're following Jesus, from time to time you get pushed back. As a church, if we're following Jesus from time to time, we will get pushed back. Bethlehem College is a good example of Christian brothers and sisters that need our prayer as they're going through a difficult time. But it will happen. It's part of being a Christian community, it's part of being a Christian. But we stand on Jesus and pray that we'll be faithful. Secondly, a challenge do you know the joy of adoption? Do you know the joy of being a daughter of the living God? And that's your core identity. Do you know the delight of being a son of the living God as your core identity? Do you remember once being lost with spiritual roots that had withered and lifeless, but now are experiencing the joy of being a child of God? Now, some of us grew up in in Christian families and in the church. In some respects, we were never really far, far away. We were never really lost. Some of us sort of have known Jesus because of our family and church connection for a long time. But even those of us who have, there are times when we have strayed. There are times when we have pushed God aside. And so Ephesians 2, verse 12 applies to all of us. Remember that at the time, at that time, you were separated from Christ without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that a wonderful good news that we've been looking at? To everyone who believes in Jesus, who receives him, we who were far away are brought close, close as a daughter and a son. So, is this your joy and delight? Can you imagine living in a world with every luxury that you can imagine and not having God? Imagine that. Imagine if you could, you know, you won lotto overnight and all your relationships were just perfect and you had perfect health, but you didn't have Jesus. Would you be happy? I hope everyone can answer no. (laughs) You know? Wouldn't that be terrible to have everything but not have Jesus? Sadly, that's the way that a number of people are. And our mission, our vision, is that not only will we know Christ, but we will make Christ known. So what have we looked at today? Let's pull all this together. Well, amazingly, in John's prologue, we've seen that God would not remain distant. God would not uh, lock himself away between the wings of the cherubim, that he broke out. And remember, you know what happened to the curtain that, that, that covered the cherubim when Jesus breathed his last? That curtain got ripped from top to bottom in the temple. So the Shekinah glory came out in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is amazing. And he came. Not so that he would be distant, so he'd be close, dwelt in human form as Christ, the Son of God. And though he's ignored by many, opposed by the world, all those who receive him become daughters and sons of the living God. And though we will face pushback, those of us who have received Christ celebrate our adoption. This is our identity as dearly loved children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for the the richness and the depth in your word and how it comes alive when your Holy Spirit is in our lives. And we pray that we will know Christ better and you will give us opportunities to make him known. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.